Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I'll be reading out of the King James Version of Scripture. I'm doing that in honor of my dad. Dad does look at some other versions, translations of Scripture, but he, he likes King James out of a sense of loyalty. Uh, he went to high school with King James, and so he, <laughs> they called him Jimmy back then. But <laughs> anyway, I just, uh, all right, let's take a tip. Just 79 years, yeah. No, just having some fun. Second Timothy 3, 12 through 17. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all Good works. I want to speak on the subject, the process of proclamation. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word and we are thankful that it is profitable to us. Now, Lord, make, it under, make our understanding profitable today as we look into your word and add your anointing to its teaching. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I was, uh, I was 12 years old at a youth camp, uh, June 23rd, 1981 to be exact, in Lizella, Georgia, when the Lord called me to preach. And I still have the first uh, Bible that mom and dad got me in 1979, I think it was. I've got that, that Bible. It's, it, it's red. Uh, the cover on it is, is a red Bible. I lost it one time in youth camp, and my good friend Bubba Carden, I told him, and he stood up and, and said, has anybody seen a Bible? He said, it's red. He said, all Bibles ought to be red. <laughs> and he was right. But after the Lord called me to preach, I wanted a study Bible. Now, this was long before the days of, of computers, now at the click of a button, you can get any kind of, you know, you can pull up any kind of, of uh, a commentary that you might need. You can pull up any kind of, of a dictionary that you might need, and you can search any scripture. But, but back in the day, study Bibles were it, and for uh, a lot of Pentecostals, the, the prince among them was the Thompson Chain reference Bible. Anybody, did anybody ever have a Thompson Chain reference Bible? And I wanted a Thompson Chain reference Bible and my grandparents bought me one and in the front of it my grandfather wrote these. I still have it in my office in his handwriting. Uh, he did not, uh, it was not his composition 
but it is written in his handwriting to me. And my dad is a Gideon, has been for years, and in the front of, of the Gideon Workers New Testament, this same sentiment is written uh, or printed. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian charter. Here too, heaven is open and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good is its design, the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, the rewards rewards the greatest labor and will condemn all those who trifle with its sacred contents. The book, the Bible, the Word of God. The very first message that I was able to preach outside of my home church was in Tanner Baptist Church uh, out in the Satilla community. And my subject was the book, the Bible, the Word of God. There is a process involved in the proclamation of the Word of God, whether that is done by a pastor on Sunday morning or whether it is done by a Sunday school teacher or a Bible study group or, or a small group leader. Uh, it, even when it is done in personal one-on-one -on -one witnessing, if it's done with a mother uh, to her child or a dad to his children, there is a process that is involved when the Word of God is proclaimed. And I want to look at that. Does anybody know what the term reverse engineering means? Anybody ever heard that term? What reverse engineering is, I'm going to just read you the technical definition. It's the re reproduction of another manufacturer's product following detailed examination of its construction or composition. In other words, you don't have the instructions, uh, you don't have the schematics of how to create that product, but by looking at the product, you work backwards to see how it's made. That's called reverse engineering. And I, with this passage, I want to do a little bit of a reverse engineering to this passage. I'm not going to follow the outline that is in the passage. I'm going to start at the conclusion of the passage and work my way back. Uh, and I want to look at this. First thing that, that we find at the conclusion of this passage is the presentation of the Word of God. Second Timothy 3.17, the man of God, that the man of God may be perfect, that's complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Well, what is the good work that he's been furnished for? It's the proclamation of the gospel. That's what he is after. In fact, 
Paul, in carrying on his thought, when we get to chapter 4, he starts chapter 4 that way. This is a, a continuation of what he's been telling Timothy. And Paul, after he'd been thrown into prison, after he'd suffered all of those things, he's writing to Timothy and he says, my charge to you. And you know, a charge is an important thing. I, uh, when I came into the church of God, I had already... Uh, pastored for six years. I had evangelized for six years before that. Uh, I was already, a, a, you know, a, a licensed minister. I'd already had experience. And so when I came in the church of God and I tested and got uh, my bishop's license, which is the highest rank that we have in the church of God, I really kind of underestimated that. I think, you know, you know, you don't have to have, the Lord called me. I don't have to have another piece of paper to go on the wall. And it was not until the ordination ceremony that uh, Raymond Culpepper uh, gave the charge to bishops that it hit me that there was something special about that. And so when they lined us up and went by and laid their hands on us and anointed us and it was a charge and I really did feel like that there was a next level of development in my, in my ministry and in my life as a result of that charge and that ordination. So he is charging. He is, uh, this is not the sense of, in the sense of charging something on your credit card. This is not a charge in the sense of, of, uh, of Teddy Roosevelt charging up San Juan Hill. This is in the sense of a sacred trust, a responsibility that is being given to you. This is your charge. This is what you're charged with. This is what you're going to be held accountable for. And so after everything that Paul had been through, he wrote his son in the faith that he loved, and he said, you know, it's just too hard. There's too many problems. Uh, you know, you probably just want to sell insurance. That's not what he did. He said, I'm, I'm charging you. I'm calling you into account. I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And he went on to tell him what that involved, doing the work of an evangelist and all of those kinds of things. But number one was preach the word. Let, let me tell you, when it comes to those that, that lead us in the church, their first responsibility is to preach the word. Now, I, I think it's wonderful. I think pastoral care is wonderful. I enjoy doing pastoral care. I enjoy visiting with people. I enjoy if somebody's in the hospital or have surgery. I actually, I don't, that's not a hardship with me. I actually find myself leaving the hospital whistling. I enjoy that. And that's important. But it's not the first task of a pastor. Uh, I don't mind counseling with people. I think counseling is in Important. I, I don't quite understand the resistance that some Christians have 
to counseling when Jesus himself is the wonderful counselor. And in the company of many counselors, there's safety. So I enjoy, but that's not the first responsibility. I think pastors and, and overseers and uh, staff pastors and leaders, I think they all ought to be good leaders. But I'm going to tell you the first responsibility of the ministry is to feed the flock. And you've got to feed the flock before you can lead the flock. But that's the first, that's the first. I've heard, I've heard well-educated uh, ministers and men stand up before pastors and say, you know, preaching is just a small part of, of the ministry. And I know what they mean. I know what they, they're trying to prepare them to say. There's a lot of stuff involved in it, and it takes more than preaching. And I know we've all known preachers that were good preachers, but were not necessarily good pastors. I, 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 get, I understand that. But that's like saying that, that the engine's just a small part of your car. The first thing that we're charged with is to proclaim the word. But listen, it, the ministry is the church. We've created this false dichotomy of clergy and laity. We created that, not the Lord. Now, is there a five-fold ministry in place? Yes, prophet, you know, a, a, a apostle, prophet, a, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Is that five-fold ministry in place? Yes, but why is that in place? To equip the body to do the work of the ministry. So the proclamation of the gospel is all of our responsibility. I proclaim the scripture to you for you to be equipped to go out and proclaim it to others. Right? So he said, preach the word. Do you remember whenever uh, in the early church there got to being a disagreement because whoever was distributing out the, uh, the food and the, and the goods, they were treating the Palestinian widows more favorably than they were the Hellenistic widows, the ones that were, were from Israel. The Jews that had grown up in Israel were getting better favor than those that had come from other parts of the world. And so when they came to Peter about it, even though the Bible says that pure religion undefiled is, is this, to, to uh, take care of the orphans and widows, even though that's true, Peter didn't say, well, boy, let me look into that. He said, do you mean to tell me that you want me to leave the ministry of the word to wait tables? Is that, is that what you're telling me? There's other people that can take care of that. Find seven men among you that are full of the Holy Ghost and let them take care of that issue. And we're going to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what the apostles are called to do. It, it's not that all of the other stuff that we do in the church is not good, not important, not in biblical. It's all of that. But it's not the chief priority. It's the Word of God that is the chief priority. So that's what he told him to do. Timothy, whatever else you do or don't do, preach the Word. Uh, I've got a, a person that's been a mentor of mine that about 
30 years ago, preached a message on this passage, preached the word. And I have to go back about once a year, I go back and put that message on YouTube and listen to it one more time. And after I listen to it, you better watch out that Sunday because I'm loaded for bear because he gets, he gets me crunk. He gets me lit whenever I listen to that because that is the charge that, that not just Timothy had, but every Christian had. You say, well, I'm not called to preach. Well, St. Francis of, of Assisi said, preach everywhere you go and if necessary, use words. So our life itself is a sermon in proclaiming the word of God. Well, if we reverse engineer this thing, if we get to the presentation of the Word of God, if we reverse engineer that, then we look that there's a preparation of the messenger. If we're talking about the presentation of the message, there is a preparation of the messenger. Um, you know, there are people that are gifted communicators that can get up without cracking the book, without doing a word study, without looking at any commentaries, without doing anything. They get up and preach a message that will stand you on their head. It's, it's not that hard. If you, if you put a hack in there every once in a while and say, you know, like sometimes I've heard ministers on the radio make announcements that way. Praise God, glory to God, hallelujah, come this Wednesday night. Praise God, glory to God, hallelujah. We're going to have the Jordanaires. Praise God, glory to God, hallelujah, right? If you do that and you throw out a few loaded words here and there and you preach on a few pet subjects here and there, you can stir a crowd. But I'm going to tell you, as an evangelist, you can get by with that. But people that's having to do it three times a week, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, eventually it shows <laughs> whether or not there's been some preparation. And so that, that the preparation is important. Uh, somebody asked a, a preacher after he preached a sermon, they said, how long did it take you to prepare that sermon? He said, 42 years. <laughs> right? Because God prepares people God prepares messengers. And that's not just what those in the quote ministry unquote are responsible for. We ought to all be prepared. I apologize to you because I talk so much about my upbringing, but it is my upbringing. And I can't, I mean, it, it just is what it is. But when, when, when me and my brothers were little, daddy'd come in and ask us Bible questions every night. We would beg him to ask us Bible questions. When we would go to Sunday school, our Sunday school teachers would often uh, be uncomfortable because they, they, they would, would teach something and one of us boys said, no, that ain't exactly what it says. That ain't, no, that ain't what it, you know, we wasn't trying to be smart aleck, we just we just had the word of God put in us, placed in us. There's a preparation. Why? Because of verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 2.15, we're still, it's the same letter, earlier in that same letter, 
he said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be, to be ashamed, rightly defi- dividing the word of truth. That there's some preparation that had to go in there. Because the Bible is inspired. Now I've fallen into doing this a few times and I don't, I don't mean any disrespect when I do it. But I think sometimes unintentionally we devalue the word of God when we're reading some of the Pauline epistles and we say, Paul said. Or we're reading Luke or Matthew's gospel and we say, Luke said. Matthew says. No, listen. This is the word of God. And I'm going to tell you, I've been in, I've been in some, some meetings in the church of God in some of our general meetings where people wanted to go their own way and they would say things like, well, Paul didn't know what he was talking about there. Well, Paul was a chauvinist. He, he did, that we got to take into consideration what Paul's mindset was. No, listen, this is not Paul's word. This is the word of God, Right? And it's the miracle of the inspiration of Scripture that it can be the words of men and yet somehow their fingerprint did not corrupt that it was the Word of God. How did that happen? Because God's Word is inspired. And this inspiration doesn't mean like that we listen to a beautiful song and get inspired by it or we're inspired by a sunset. That's not what this means. What this means is the word theopneustos, and here's what it means, God breathed. You remember when the world was void, that the, that the wind of God hovered over the deep, gestated over the deep, stirred up like a, like a hen uh, sets on her eggs, he, he hovered over the deep, and then when God created man, he reached down and he, Breathe the breath of life in the man. You remember that? That same God with that life-giving breath, life-giving wind, life-giving spirit, whenever men of God wrote this book, God breathed it. God breathed, that's what inspiration is. This, this word is inspired. 2 Peter 1.21, Peter said, For the prophecy came in the old time, not by the will of man, but by holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And this word moved by the Holy Ghost is a word that means to be carried or borne along. And the, and the concept here is like, like a ship on the sea with wind in its sails. That this word was written by men, about 40 different authors, over about a 1,500-year span in different nations, living at different times, having different experiences, and yet it's a whole unit. From kiver to kiver, it's a continuing story. And because of that, how could that be? Because they had the same wind in their sails. Right? He carried them along with him. 
and the word of God is profitable. This word profitable means it, it, it comes from a word originally that meant to heap up. So it's the idea of to gain. But it's not that, oh, I read the word of God and I get a little, I get a little tidbit here. I get, a, I get a, something that's retweet, retweetable. I get a good slogan to go, uh, you know, on my bumper sticker. That's not the idea here that every once in a while I come across a keeper. It means that when I get into the word of God, I've hit the jackpot. It, it's heaped up and overflowing. That's how profitable it is. It's profitable for what? For doctrine. And I'm going to tell you, we better get back to the place that doctrine is no longer an ugly word in church. I'm going to tell you, for a person to be indoctrinated is not a bad thing. That doesn't mean to be brainwashed. That means to be educated, to be trained, to learn. I had a friend of mine. I, in fact, I was, I was invited one night to go across the street here to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. They invited a group of pastors to come in and tell them what was the difference between what we believed and what they believed. And it, it was a gracious invitation, and I accepted it uh, uh, graciously. But I kept using the word theology. What's the difference between our theology, your theology, and there was a Baptist pastor from here in town, and with all due respect, he said, he said, well, he's using the word theology. I don't like using that word. I like using the word doctrine. And it's doctrine. See, there are people, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds with this, but I know of people that doctor shop and ailment shop so they can get drugs. Right? What they want is pills. And so if I get a little tinge in their back, you see what I'm saying? And they'll go from doctor to doctor to doctor to try to get more pills. And there are people in this world that they don't like what the Bible has to say. So they'll hunt around for a theology that, defeat, that fits the outcome that they want. This book is not about theology, it's about doctrine. We're trying to re redecide what God's already spoken about. If he's already said it, if he's already given instruction, if he's already made it clear, it's not my business to try to figure out. It's my business to trust and obey. It's my business to say this is what the book says. In fact, in the church of God, the first general assembly that we had in 1906, the first item of business was this. This is not a legislative body. This is a judicial body. We don't make doctrine. We interpret scripture. We're not making it over to what we want. We're trying to find out what the book says. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. Now, I want you to listen to that word reproof. If you break it down, it's re-proof. And that word means evidence. 
or conviction. If you and I in our, our spiritual walk begin to struggle with doubts, if we begin to struggle with uncertainties, if we begin to struggle with what we ought to believe, we need to get back in the book and get re-proof. <laughs> the proof for our convictions are in the book. And when we deviate from that, we need to, it to be proven to us again, get back in the word of God. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof is when you, when you let somebody know that they're wrong. That's reproof. And then it says it's profitable not only for reproof, but for correction. You say, now wait a second, hold on. I thought that reproof and correction are the same thing. They're not. Reproof is me saying, you're not doing that right. Correction is me showing you how you ought to be doing it. That's the difference between reproof and correction. And it not only reproves us for where we have deviated, it corrects it. That word literally means to straighten up again. When we get crooked, it straightens us up again. You know, I've known Christian people sue each other in a court of law. I've known different denominations to sue each other in the court of law. If you go to God's Word where it tells us that it's a shame for Christians to sue one another, that we're going to judge angels and we can't correct our own problem without bringing in the world. It'll correct a lot of the problems we have if we'll go back to the book. And then it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. You all know how to live right, it's in the book. So as we backwards engineer, reverse engineer this thing. There's the presentation of the message. There's the preparation of the messenger. And then there is the preservation of the gospel. This is what he says, verses 14 and 15. This is the beginning of our passage. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. Now, what he's saying is the things that you know, the things that you know why you know them, you know what you believe and you know why, and knowing whom you learned them and you know where you learned them from. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You remember how Paul talked about the unfeigned faith he found in Timothy that was first in, in Eunice and Lois, his mother and his grandmother, they had poured the word of God into that boy. Did you know for the Pharisee, Pharisees would take a scroll of the law of God and, and brush honey on the outside of it and put it in the crib and let the babies lick the honey off the law so that their earliest memory was that there was sweet things in the Word of God. 
from the time that he was born, the word of God was placed in him. Do you remember when the Olympics came to Atlanta in 1996? Anybody remember that? On April the 27th uh, of 1996, in Athens, Greece, a, a torch from Mount Olympus was lit. And there were about 800 runners that traveled 1,300 miles across Greece before it was put on a plane and transported all the way to Los Angeles. It was landed in Los Angeles April 27, 1996. The very first torchbearer was a guy that had been the final torchbearer in the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. And then 12,467 people helped to carry that across the United States. There were 2,000 former Olympians. There were other people that somehow were linked to the Olympic movement. There were 5,500 people that had been nominated as local community heroes. There were 2,500 people that were just picked at random out of a, out of a draw. The route went to different locations. Santa Monica Pier uh, went through Kingman's, Arizona, near the Grand Canyon, went over the Hoover Dam. When it got over the Hoover Dam, they unfurled the world's largest American flag over Hoover Dam. Some rode bicycles. Sometimes it was on, transported by planes, boats, trains, in a specially built car. When they got out west, the National Pony Express Association had riders on horseback carrying that Olympic torch over the same route of the Pony Express for 56 continuous hours. There was a, a torch that was taken on a barge up in, uh, near the Erie Canal and pulled by mules on the Erie Canal. There was a torch, a, a, a unlit torch that was even for the first time taken into space. And finally it made its way around the, you know, a serpentine route at different spots around the United States until it got to Savannah, Georgia. And then from Savannah en route to Macon on July the 15th, 1996, and I was standing right up Ward Street here in the Salvation Army parking lot across from the First Baptist Church, that torch passed through Douglas, Georgia. I remember Walter Huckabee was one of the people that got to carry that torch through. Dick Whirl was one of the people that carried that torch through Douglas, Georgia. I'm going to tell you, there's a torch that has been handed down to you and I. It's the Word of God. Jude said, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but instead I found it necessary to write to you about the faith first delivered to the saints. What you and I are hanging on to is an ancient treasure given to us by God, breathed by God. Right? 
We're not trying to make up our own rules. We're not trying to interpret the world through our own understanding. We're not trying to make sense of a world gone mad. We just keep carrying the torch. But you know what? There's going to come a day where your torch-carrying days are going to be over. You better make sure you pass that torch along to somebody else. We don't want to let the torch drop when our generation's over. We want somebody else to carry the torch. Why is it so important? Well, he started this passage, verses 12 and 13, he started this passage by telling us there's going to be persecution of the godly, but there's evil men and seducers that are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, those people that are so adamant against the godly things in our nation, they really believe they're right. The people that are promoting every kind of perversity, every kind of ungodliness, unruliness, they are so deceived they think they're right. How in, the, how in the world could any sane person, any person with any human compassion at all, believe that murdering an unborn baby in their mother's womb is a good thing? How can anybody look at that? Believer or atheist, how can anybody look at that and say, yeah, I'm on board with that? You know who believes that? Deceived people. Evildoers are waxing worse and worse. And they're not only deceived, but they are deceivers. They're coming after your grandchildren. They're coming after your children. They're coming after you. There are people that have served God for 40, 50, 60 years that are rethinking things that they know the Word of God is against, but they're like, but they're like well, I've got family that's involved, and I, I don't know if it's all that bad. I, I, I really, listen, it's not up for you to decide by your emotions what's right and what's wrong. We've got the answer. This is God's answer. This is God's breed. I don't have to carry around the responsibility of trying to figure it out. I just got to carry the torch. I just got to preserve and carry the torch. Why? Because the Word of God, Hebrews 4 and 12, the Word of God is quick. That means it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's power in the Word of God. I want to leave you with this today, and some of you may remember this name. Hein Fein was a Vietnamese Christian, and uh, he would help Americans and American soldiers and missionaries. He would translate for them. 
but he was eventually captured uh, by the Viet Cong and he was placed in, in prison and they began to berate him. They began to just uh, absolutely uh, give him a deluge in Marxist and communist ideology. They just kept pressing against him, coming against him. He was lonely. He was scared. He was in prison. He was in need. And finally, when he had had all that he could take, in desperation one night, he, he thought, maybe they're right. Maybe I have been lied to. Maybe God doesn't really exist. Maybe I've just been deceived by the West. And so he determined when I wake up tomorrow morning, every day I've been here, I've prayed and I've tried to meditate on God. But when I wake up in the morning, it'll be the first day I'm not going to start the day in prayer. I'm not going to meditate on God. I've had enough. The next morning, they grabbed him and they assigned him to the terrible task of having to clean out the officer's latrine. And so there he is cleaning out the can. And as he's cleaning it out, he sees that as toilet paper, the officers had grabbed a copy of the Bible and was using it as toilet paper. And he caught the headline that said Romans 8. And he picked it up. And he wiped it off and he tried to clean it. And he read these words. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, that are the called according to His purpose. He read where it said, Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, not tribulation or peril or sword, nothing in heaven, nothing in earth, no creature, and separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He began to cry and repent for even thinking about abandoning his faith because he knew of all of the passages in the word of God that he needed at that very moment. God had given him a gift of that very passage that day. He went back and volunteered for latrine duty because every day he would look through and find the pieces of Scripture that had been utilized as toilet paper so he could clean them up and smooth the pages out and collect the Word of God. We perhaps have dozens of these on our shelves in our homes. There's a man that's willing to clean off human excrement just to get through the day because of the power that's in the Word 
of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, oh, Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, let us hunger for the words of your mouth more than we hunger for our necessary food, oh, God. Help us, Lord, to cause your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, your word declares to us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Oh, God, help us, oh, Lord, to present your word, to be prepared in and by your word, and to preserve your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great rest of the day.